So this morning I wanted to talk about uh, what practices. Maybe you can tell me what practices. It's an interesting question. Uh, but before I started, I just wanted to uh, the, the, what we practice, how we practice, arises out of what's most important to me, which is sangha. So the sangha provides the vessel, if you like, or uh, the vehicle for practice, and. Uh, <clears throat> The thing I really like about Sangha is, uh, you know, Zen's got a really buccaneering spirit. You know, it's had a buccaneering history. We kind of uh, are free people who do it, freely choosing to, to practice. And uh, what I love about Sangha is that we all voluntarily and freely choose to join together of our own responsibility to create uh, something which is our own, you know, which is created by us. And I like it because it's nothing to do with the government, <laughs> nothing to do with the church, it's nothing to do with any establishments or corporations. We do it, you know, and we are the Sangha. And I really want to keep, you know, for everyone to, to remember that. I know some of you are from different Sanghas, but whichever Sangha you're from, you know, in a bigger sense, of course, the Sangha is, is the world, and, and, and in an even more important sense, the vehicle for our practice is our lives, and in a way, that's, that's our sangha. But in, 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 a, uh, in a smaller way, the sanghas that we create provide the, 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 the place for us to practice. So, you know, that's really important. And I was thinking, uh, what's the most important aspect of sangha? And, uh, and I, as I was on, on the cushion before, I, I, I thought of it about like climbing a mountain. And for me, sangha is mo the most important thing about it is, is its refuge that it's a refuge. And a refuge for me has a couple of meanings. One is, a refuge, of course, is a place where we go um, for support and to support other people. Um, but also, uh, in, in, in mountaineering terms, a, a refuge is a place. Uh, I don't know if you've climbed a high mountain, but you, you go to, if the mountain's too big to do in a day, you go to the refuge and you get up really early, you have breakfast, and then you try and get to the top and back down before it gets dark, because of course you don't want to be out in the dark. The other reason to go, uh, do you leave early, is if, if you're really high up, you want to get to the top before the sun is really high and starts melting the ice and the snow, and it makes it really tricky to, you know, so there are two reasons that you go to the refuge, and they're both kind of relevant to, to Sangha to me, because uh, Sangha is the place that you set off from for the mountaintop, and then you come back down. And that could be uh, in terms of young and old. A young person has, uh, who's starting their practice has the whole day to get to the top of the mountain and get back down. If, you get, if you're an old bugger, like some of us are, you want to get up and down before 12 noon, you know, because you haven't got that much time left. So there are two reasons uh, that, that, that Sang is a refuge. So uh, that's, that's where our practice begins, and, uh, and then I wanted to talk about what is practice. And I thought it start off with something a bit uh, uh, traditional, um, and it comes from... Um, the, uh, a famous koan, the transmission of the Dharma by Shakyamuni uh, to his successor, Mahak Kasyapa. And uh, this koan really is all about uh, no one can live your life except you. And no one can live my life except me. So we're each responsible for our own lives. But then the question comes up, but what, what is life and what is death? What is life and what is death? They're really big questions. They are big questions. At the same time, they're kind of tiny as well. I, I saw in the paper today, and you've probably seen it, this is, you know, we're, we're always talking about these things because they flabbergast us, but they still flabbergast me. I, there was a, a blown-up photo of 1% of this, of this Milky Way. It was blown up, 1% of the Milky Way, and there were 80 million suns in it. <laughs> 80 million, that's 1%. So what's 100 times 80 million? Is that 8 billion or something? Anyway, so it's like there's kind of 8 billion suns in this galaxy, and then there are apparently 100 million, 100 billion other galaxies. It completely blows you. I mean, what? <laughs> what? How can we expect to understand or know anything in the face of such unimaginable... So, you know, although it's a great question of life and death, it's also a very small thing in the, in the great scheme of things. But anyway, we'll give it some importance today. So, 
In the Soto Zen, they use the expression, the treasury of the true Dharma eye and the subtle mind of Nirvana. That sounds all pretty esoteric. The treasury of the true Dharma eye and the subtle mind of Nirvana. And this was the expression that arises from uh, the transmission from Shakyamuni to his successor, Kasyapa, when... um, in the story, Shakyamuni holds up a flower and blinks, and Maka, Maka Kasyapa smiles. And Shakyamuni said, I have the treasure of the true Dharma eye and subtle mind of Nirvana, and I transmit it to you. So, what is this treasury of the true Dharma eye and subtle mind of Nirvana that Shakyamuni transmitted? What is this most precious treasure? The true Dharma eye, the treasury of the true Dharma eye. It sounds pretty, but guess what? It's sitting right on the mat that you're sitting on now. It's your life. The treasury of the true Dharma eye. How does it feel to know that it's your life? Does it feel, does it just kind of pass you by when I say that? Does it kind of make any impact? Does it feel like there's a lot of responsibility involved? What does it feel like? Pardon? It's a lot to live up to. It's a lot to live up to, yeah. <laughs> You're not happy about it, no. The whole, bi- the whole business, yeah. <laughs> A little anticlimactic, yeah, that's right, isn't it? you think it would be something more special in my life. But what's most special to you? <laughs> I imagine it's your life. Yeah. Isn't that what's most special to all of us, really? It's our lives, isn't it? That's what's most special. The way this is framed sometimes is, you know, it is your life, and then you say, it is my life, and then, then, then you can say, who am I, or what is this? You know, these are cones that we carry around with us. Who am I, what is this? These are the fundamental, most important cones. So, what I wanted to talk about was what is practice, and that's how we can experience this life that we're living now. And... In, in, it sounds grandiose, and another, it's another thing that we can't get a hold of, but I've written down here, I've probably pinched it from somewhere, the living now, how do we live now as an infinite, limitless life, as the true subtle mind of nirvana? How do we live an infinite, limitless life as the subtle mind of nirvana? How do we do that? Okay, thank you. Thanks. Pardon? Just let go. Yeah, good. Just let go. Okay. I was trying to be clever and repeat the answer so it would be on here. (laughs) Yeah, just let go. And and as Alan said, and you know, and even more simply, as they say in the koan, when you've had breakfast, wash your dishes. It's as simple as that, really. So what is practice? And the reason I wanted to talk about this is that it, it, can t- it, t- it takes years and years to clarify why we practice. Years and years. I mean, I've been practicing, and as, 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 as many of you have, certainly quite a few people here, for, for well over 25 years, for 30 years. And... What I see is that the, pra- the, the, the problems and issues that arise for me are the very same problems and issues that arose for me when I started practice. And the problems and issues that arise are the same. They may have a different frame, but they're about being attached to ideas and concepts. And... Come in, Giles. 
And I imagine that's the same for us all, isn't it? If you look back at diary, if anybody ever kept a diary and you look back 20 years ago, you think, God, nothing's changed. <laughs> what's, what's different? So, you know, our attachments and the ideas that we have, we really do hold on to them. And, the, and, 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 and as Maurice said, letting go, what is the most difficult thing to let go of? What is the most difficult? Yeah, let go of yourself, but in terms of concepts and ideas, the things that are most let, difficult to let go are the ones that you think are most true, the ones you feel righteous about, the ones you think... There's no question about that, you know, this is, this is the way it is. And, you know, most of us will do almost anything to avoid letting go uh, of, our, of, our, of our ideas. I mean, some people even go to prison <laughs> rather than let go. Of a, of, a, of, a, of a view we all resist letting go but then as, 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 as we keep saying you know, what we need to let go of is this grip we've got on our life we have to, we have to give, give it up um, and some people even talk about giving up their life surrendering their life and it's a really I mean who are you giving up and surrendering it to you know Nobody really wants your life. They've got their own. <laughs> so what do you need to give up to accomplish the way? That's, that's the kind of question. What do you need to give up to accomplish the way? And why is it that we want to accomplish the way? I think it's really good to keep coming back to these very basic questions. What is it that we want to accomplish? And I think, you know, a simple question is, a simple answer is that uh, we can all benefit to a smaller or lesser degree with being comfortable with ourselves. You know, we can feel comfortable with ourselves, at least that's a beginning. That's a very useful outcome of practice. Um, but it's, it's a—it's uh, not easy. Is that right? I mean, is it, it's, it's not that easy. I mean, some of us have a natural facility to feel comfortable with ourselves, and other, 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 others of us don't. What do you think? Is it easy to be comfortable with yourself? And if you were, how would that be? <laughs> Morris? Yeah. Why would you prefer to be uncomfortable? Okay. Good. So for you, and you forgive me, I'm not trying to be uh, clever here, but you're comfortable in being out of your depth. So you're comfortable with being uncomfortable. But, and you're happy with that. You feel okay with that. And that. That's really what I mean. You feel okay with who you are. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> you're uncomfortable and enjoy. Keeps you on your toes. Is that right? Yeah. So let me just read you something. That's, uh, this is um, finally, finally. Uh, incidentally, this is a bit of a potpourri of a, of a talk. I should tell you how this arises. I, uh, I, um, <clears throat> what, I, what I've noticed is that people who write can't really talk very well spontaneously, and people who talk spontaneously can't often very write, write very well. It's a strange, I don't even notice that maybe in Parliament, people who speak well don't write well. I'm not a, I don't speak spontaneously, so what I do is I, I, I'm like a kind of, uh, what's that bird that collects things, which one? I'm a magpie. I collect ideas and thoughts and I think of things that myself and I note them all down and then I make this potpourri of a talk and sometimes it works, it gels and other times it's a kind of mess. So today's a bit of a potpourri. So I'm moving from being comfortable with yourself as being one 
beginning aim in practice to secondarily a bigger aim is to feel free to feel really free to feel free in yourself to feel free, to feel spacious, to feel able to move in the world and what is this freedom? What is, what is real freedom? And real freedom doesn't necessarily come from big realizations or big understandings because we all know for ourselves and what we, you know, we see around us that people uh, may have a big breakthrough, may have a big understanding, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can manifest it in their lives. There is, there's, there's often a gap between what we understand, what we realize, and how we manifest it in our lives. And what I see as the problem, as, not as the problem, as, as the issue that's difficult for all of us to overcome, that will allow us to be free, is to know, at least to know, what our deeply rooted patterns are. What is the re- reoccurring pattern in our life? And very often we all have one. Like it's like a red thread going through our lives and it keeps popping up, this reoccurring pattern. So to, 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 to even know what that is, is a starting point to being free of it. Being free of it is a bit more tricky, you know. Um, this is what Dogen said about true freedom. Transcend discrimination of opposites, discover total reality, and achieve detachment. This is true freedom. That, to me, it sounds, when you first read it, a bit grandiose, and I don't agree with it. <laughs> you know. Transcend discrimination of opposites, discover total reality, and achieve detachment. This is true freedom. When he says this transcend discrimination of opposites do you think that that means you can't discriminate because if it, if it did then none of us would be free he says transcend discrimination of opposites is that a double negative transcend discrimination of opposites no it isn't is it no. how do you transcend discrimination of opposites does that mean you can't make a choice It sounds like that, yeah. Karen? Say again. Karen, I'm really sorry. You're going to have to demai. Yeah. Are you shy now? You're going to get demai. Okay. Ah, isn't that good? <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, to continue learning all the time. Yeah. 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 Very good. That, that, I'm not sure. I, I agree with the sentiment. I'm not sure what that, whether that, that's what that means, but I completely agree with the sentiment. For me, I'll t- tell you what it means for me. is that it, It's a bit you know, like that thing, you know, when you walk, walk, when you sit, sit, and above all, don't wobble. It doesn't mean you can't discriminate, but it means don't discriminate about your discrimination. You know, don't be worrying about, when you make a decision about something, you make the decision. When you're going to do something, you do it. You're not judging yourself all the time. You're not discriminating about your choices. You're just doing it. And in the second line, he says, discover total reality. Well, what is total reality? What, what do you think the Dogen means by total reality? Yeah. To me, when you said it, it was like a picture. Yeah. It was like transcending means to just looking down and seeing it as it is. Yeah. And then when you say it, what it is, then it is reality. Fantastic. Great. Yeah. That, that's what it means for me. Discover total reality means to, to have this overview, which we all often miss, and have our ordinary everyday view, you know, which is our discriminating view, to have both in hand. So that's, that's total reality, but for most of us, I think it's true that we, we often miss the bigger picture. We get really identified with ourselves and with our own stuff, and we don't see the bigger picture. So total reality, great, thank you. And then he says, and achieve detachment. Now, when I read that, and achieve detachment, 
I, I balk at that. You know, I don't want to be detached. Detach, detachment is, is boring. It's isolating. You know, why, why would I want to be detached? Go on. Pardon? To be free, yeah, I agree. But I don't want to be detached from, from life or reality, which is what it first of all it seems like. To me, when I read that, you know, and achieve detachment, I'm a kind of, you know, nothing's going to move me or influence me. I'm not going to be passionate about things. I'm not going to love things, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there is a different way to hear it. But yeah, it kind of, to me, it comes across as and achieving personalness. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the subtle difference between detachment and non-attachment. Yeah. Non-attachment for me feels better than detachment. Yeah. Yeah. Non-attachment doesn't. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. I owe my understanding of this to Genpo. I, I, I looked at a commentary Genpo did on this, Genpo Roshi, and he says, because it did stick in my throat, and he says, that, and achieve detachment is, is, means to detach from being stuck in duality. You know, so again, it's being, it's being stuck on one side, being stuck on the relative side, and, and not having this over more spacious panoramic view of life in which I'm not the main character. And you are not the main character. Um, And then he ends it by saying, this is true freedom. This is true freedom. Okay, so now I'm I'm, going to move on now and and talk about what is practice. And it's a a personal view, and I appreciate your input from it. But... The reason I feel able to make it personal in terms of what is practice for me is one of the, one of the things I like about Zen or about this practice is that uh, it's always been like, um, it's, it's, it's always fitted the container that it's in. It's always, a, it's always become appropriate to the culture that it's in. So, you know, when I went from India to China, it became very Chinese. When I went to Japan, it went very Japanese. Uh, now it's in the West and it's our job. And again, it's the job of the Sangha and all of us to interpret what, that, what this practice means within this particular culture. Because, you know, there's no point in us adopting attitudes that reflect a Japanese culture or a Chinese culture. So we have to find our own way of manifesting practice and what practice is. And um, I'll, just, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just, I'll just, I'll tell you. So... Or practices. Now, my essential interest, and this, as I say, this is personal, is how do we apply the traditional basics of Zen to our real, everyday, daily, lay lives? Or lives, it doesn't matter which, how we describe it. How do we apply traditional basics of Zen to our real, daily lives. Having a wide open, warm heart in moment to moment. Okay, thank you. So within this context, my first focus and my message is that basically and intrinsically we are already whole and complete. That's, that's my ground, that's my, where I'm starting point. And, 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 and this is always the backdrop to my sense of teaching, that essentially we're all intrinsically whole and complete. Do you believe that? You have, you have the potential, yeah.
Thank you. You want to, you want to, you want to make do you? That was, that, that was very nice. Thank you. Thank you. We should have that in the tape. <laughs> of course, this doesn't mean that we don't all have lots of work to do. We, you know, we all still, we're all still stuck in one place or another. That's guaranteed. Basically, we're whole and complete, and we've also got a lot of work to do. And, and, and thank God, you know, because that makes life interesting, doesn't it? It wouldn't be boring if we all went around feeling we're whole and complete and we didn't have anything else to do. So, I'm, I'm, I've, I've written this down in the cafe over the way. So for me, practice very simply is a life of moving from hurting others and myself to a life of not hurting others and not hurting myself. E.g., with an exclamation mark, being happy. It doesn't sound a lot, does it? But it is, you know, it's a lifetime's work. Yeah, it sounds simple, but moving from the place of feeling, or having the view that we should be different or better than who we are, or that our lives should be different from the way they are, is a long road. I've just written down here the views that we often hold. That, you know, I should not be angry. I should not be hurt. I should not be confused. I should not be happy, I should not be joyful, I should not be lonely, I should not feel isolated, I should this, I should that. Are we all subject, would we agree that we're all subject to some of those things? I love it when, uh, Rajneesh had some fantastic things to say, but I loved it when he said that should is a four-letter word. <laughs> I should this, I should that, you know. And, and the reason that I say that, you know, that should this, should that, the only way we can be really intimate, we can really, you know, intimately experience our life is by stop dreaming about how it might be or how it should be. If it was this or if it was that. Otherwise, I mean, you're not really intimate with your life. You know, you're not really experienced this particular life that you've got. And you don't have another one. So should I, should I tell you uh, uh, what, we had a, a monks meeting and I, we made a list, I thought I'd, I'd let you know what, what we So this is the view of what practice is from uh, how many weeks ago? I think all, all the monks, that, all the people that have been ordained in the UK within White Plum, we came together and we had a meeting and... Uh, I threw out some things that I thought practice was and, and other people threw out a few things that they thought, what is practice? And I made a list. You got a pen and paper. <laughs> what do you think practice is? What is practice? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds a good practice to me to start from. Well, thank you. You look stymied. <laughs> what is practice? What is it? I'll, t I'll, get, I'll let you off the hook. I'll tell you what we, what we agreed. Well, not what, not what we agreed, the ideas were thrown out. So, number one, practice is ultimately about embracing each moment 
and opening to it without judgment. How does that sound? Ultimately about embracing each moment and opening to it without judgment. That's hard, isn't it? Is that hard? Yeah? Okay. Pardon? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not your practice. Okay. Good. Good. These are these are these are all individual, uh, and that was one of mine. So thank you, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read the others out now. <laughs> Learning in your heart to fully experience this moment. Taking responsibility for my life and acknowledging the consequences. Taking responsibility for my life and acknowledging the consequences. Being fully in relationship with other people. Maybe these resonate for you. Oh, this is a good one. Not being distracted by ideas of attainment. Who has ideas of attainment? <laughs> okay. This is one of my favorite ones. This is me. Practice can be a band-aid to help you function in life or the path to really get down to basics. So my assumption is if you're on session. You're in the second category. I mean, you, you know, you really want to, what, what's the phrase in Zen? You want to tackle the, the big question of life and death. Nothing willy-nilly, like just getting through the day. You want the big answer. Practice is unending, is unending, and does not guarantee an easy life. And each of us must find our own way to manifest our own Buddha nature. And there are as many Buddhists as there are Buddhisms. So we've got lots of Buddhisms in this room. Isn't that great about this tradition? You can be your own unique Buddhist. This is not really about practice, this is something I've written. Our life problems usually arise out of the gap between what we expect and want and what actually is happening. This gap causes suffering. To take our minds away from expectations, we plant it in the present moment. And Zazen is our vehicle for this letting go and being in the mind (coughs) of hopelessness. How does that feel as I say the practice is about hopelessness? Is that disappointing? No thingness, yeah. No thingness. Good. Hopelessness. If I say it, put it all together and say this practice is about hopelessness, it doesn't sound very good, does it? But there are great, it's a great freedom in, in hopelessness. Because then you're not going to be disappointed. Anyone else got anything to add to those three? Eight. (laughs) Eight. Definitions of practice. Morris, you're very talkative today. Go, go, go for it. Go. It's nice to hear you. Don't sit your mouth here. Yeah. Truisms. Do they? Gosh, blink your neck. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't need the mic, I've got my own. (laughs) 
Well, maybe, maybe we should parcel them and send them to Reader's Digest. It might do some good. <laughs> You're right, you know, they, are, they, they do sound a bit like that. But they came out of a kind of circle of what is practice. And some of them are mine, and yeah, and I apologize if they sound like truisms. There, are, there aren't any truisms. There, uh, there's only, what's the word? There's a cone about uh, groping around in the underbrush. <laughs> How do we grope around in the underbrush? This is what we're doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm groping around in the underbrush. How do you grope around in the underbrush, by the way? <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Morris, for taking the sailor past the windows of our sails. <laughs> I'm very glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here. I know now when you told me that you were a troublemaker in your youth, you still are. <laughs> Pardon? I was wondering why you felt it necessary to be defining what Buddha said. Yeah. 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 And what I'm interested in, and what I said at the very beginning is, what does it mean for us at a personal level? Not what's been handed to us, which, which is wonderful and which we can learn from. But uh, I think what's more interesting and what goes in more deeply is what we've experienced and what's true for us. What do you think? I was a bit, a bit nervous looking at Father there when you, uh, when you um, described hope. You were a bit nervous, what? When you, in front of Father, uh, Father Patrick there, when you described hope as the, the least of them. Oh, I didn't say hope was the least. I said the hopelessness was an opportunity for freedom. Yeah. Time is it? Gosh, of course it's here. Let me read you something more interesting, if you like. Okay, I've written down here the pitfalls of practice. You know, what gets in the way of practice. And I've written down here torpor and boredom. What does torpor mean? What's the, what's the real definition of torpor? Listlessness, tiredness, boredom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How many folk have suffered torpor and boredom in their practice? <laughs> yeah. And when you do, where do you normally place the blame? <laughs> it's every other bugger's fault, isn't it? <laughs> it's the practice's fault, it's the tradition's fault, it's the teacher's fault, it's the sangha's fault, it's the government's fault, it's the weather, it's the job, it's the relationship, all these things. And where is the real source of our boredom and torpor? <laughs> yeah, it's always us. It's always us. I mean, there may be legitimate reasons outside, but you know, that, I'm not diminishing that there are real difficulties in our lives that arise. But usually, it's down to us. And what's really interesting for me, the paradox is that. Uh,
when we're pissed off with ourselves, you know, because we're feeling this way, is the time we're least willing to look at the self. <laughs> the time when we're least willing to sit, when we're least willing to practice, is when we're most irritated and fed up with ourselves. We'd rather lie on the sofa and watch the telly. And incidentally, that's what I mean by Sangha. You know, when you're feeling like that, that's, that's, when, that, that's when it's great to turn up and to sit. And, and also when you're feeling really well and good and on a roll and up and high, that's a good time to come and sit because then you're supporting the person who's at that time not feeling that great. So, you know, we serve each other when we, when, when, when we, when we turn up. What's the antidote, you think, to torpor and boredom? Pardon? Attention, yeah. Pardon? Open your eyes wide, yeah. Yeah. Embrace it, yeah. Own it, good. Pardon? Experience it, yeah. Yeah. And that they're all true, but are also, we're also often, we need a kind of mechanism, some kind of technique to, to, to lift us out. So. You need discipline, yeah. John's good for that, is he? <laughs> I'm a bit worried you're getting disciplined off John. <laughs> have to take away those boots. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's true. Discipline is good. I mean, you know, just on a, for myself, throw yourself into stuff, you know, throw yourself into something, whatever it is, or help others, or make a decision to go and help somebody else. There's always some people that need some support or assistance. Um, befriend yourself. Ask yourself for help. What is needed? And that, that, that brings me to what I'm going, just going to finish off with before we have a few questions. And so really, I, I, this is a, this is a uh, I don't know where it's from. It's, uh, I've just written it down and highlighted it. And it's, it's, about, it's a Sanskrit word, which I can't pronounce, called, maybe somebody else can, called prasrabadi. Anybody know that word? Prasrabadi. And this, it means serenity, lightness, and pliancy. And pliancy is defined as a fitness for action that freely applies the full energy in the body and the mind to good purposes. So this is, what, this is, this is applying your mind for good purpose at will. And this is what the person says. This ease comes from relaxing rigidity in body and mind, rigid ideas and rigid views about how things should be the way it used to be and how we want it to be. Looking around and discriminating in that way, there's a rigid quality to it. So relaxing, allowing what is to come forward and realize itself and to witness itself is a kind of ease with, with whatever happens. Lightness, serenity, tranquility. Just saying the words, they're lovely words. So along with pliancy is happiness and joyfulness preceded by faith and clarity. And this pliancy and uh, uh, lightness and serenity, we can, we can bring that to our life. We, we, we can make a willed choice to stop being rigid and stuck. We can make a willed choice. Although I said at the very beginning we're perfect as we are, we can also make a decision to change. And I think that's sometimes forgotten in the, you know, it's forgotten in the practice about experiencing it as it is that's just one way we can also make a firm decision to will a change and there's a story here about uh, uh, the Buddha encountering a woman who had lost all her presence of mind after enduring enormous suffering in her life what great Maitreya Buddha said to her no what the great Buddha said to her was sister sister regain your state of mind Sister, regain your state of mind. Recover your presence of mind. And we all have the ability to do that. 
We all have the ability to recover our state of mind. So that's, that's kind of the complete picture. We're perfect as we are. We've still got work to do. We have to experience as we are. And we can also bring our own will to bear on how we are. We're not victims. We don't have to be victims of how we feel. We can make a choice. I know that probably sounds a bit onerous. Because, you know, when we're feeling down, what we most want is people to feel uh, understanding and compassionate. And, and, and for a while that's fine. And then there's a point at which you have to get a grip. <laughs> Which, you know, therapy-wise is a very naughty thing to say. <laughs> but I promise you, I only ever say it to myself. I would never see you say it to someone else. Okay. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I'm very happy to uh, any any comments or, or feedback. Or... So I have a question. Diminishes, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Marcy, that's a you know it's a really good question, and it's also a really difficult question because it's what we all face. You know, when it's a bit like you know, uh, Sashin is a bit using the mountain metaphor again. It's a bit like you know, we we're all before it happens, we're preparing ourselves. We have trepidation. We're nervous, we wonder whether we want to come, we're preparing ourselves, we come on session, we start, it's difficult, it's hard, middle way through we start to cool out, we hit the top of the mountain, in the metaphor, we come back down, and we're back in life again, you know, and it's all taking place in six days, and, and you know, we've had this, as it were, experience, of, uh, but we can't just reproduce that. So, my sense is that the only way to, to maintain uh, a sense of spaciousness is, is the incremental benefit of continuous practice. The incremental benefit of continuous practice. And it is incremental. And, uh, and, uh, and it's part of the beauty of Sangha uh, and why I love it. Because it allows a place and a time for us to all turn up. We don't have to make a decision. It's there. It's much harder to make a decision to sit on your own. So, you know, there is a vehicle for continuous incremental practice. And then, you know, the final thing is, uh, and the good thing is, is that you are aware of the difference. You know, you, 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 you're sensitive enough to be aware that now it's changed and you're going to slip back into it. And it can happen really fast, you know. You can leave Sashin in a traffic jam, wind your window down and start abusing another driver. You know, that easily, you know, you know five minutes post-session you can start doing it, you know. So, it's not easy. You know, so, you know, ch- change it. The way I look at it is, you know, I've said it before, but if you're younger, it's, it's, you've got a longer time to change your patterns. And they're difficult to change because a lot of us don't come to practice till we're in our mid-twenties, mid-30s, mid-40s, and, you know, the body is incredibly rooted in its patterns by then. It's really difficult to change your patterns. You can't just do it overnight. And you have to keep aware because you sleep, keep slipping back. You keep slipping back. Uh, so it is, it's an ongoing, lifelong practice. And that, although that seems a burden, I've said before, that it is also a joy for me because it means I'm not going to be bored. And I'm easily bored. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Just hang on, Ish. We're going to pass you the, uh, the wand.
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, since I'm not, um, it's made quite a difference having a stool. And it's made quite a difference that I've accepted that it's okay to sit on a chair. Yeah. Because what stops me is the getting, is, is the clearing the space and putting a cushion down. Yeah. So instead of that, and I'm going to ask you, it, can this qualify as doing Zazen? Okay, I know, you, you say, you sit on a chair, yeah. right? Now, is the difference, I ask myself, between doing Zazen and not doing Zazen, is if at the beginning of sitting, my period of sitting down on a chair, I say, I'm going to do Zazen for 10 minutes. Mm. Whereas if you forget to say that, it qualifies as just sitting on a chair. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you, it's very good, yeah, you quali- make, make a qualified decision that this is what I'm doing, I agree, yeah, it's good, thank you, it's a good point, yeah, well, case, makes it real. Doing lots of practice going to be hard to Okay, okay, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, well, well, you've got no excuses from now on. <laughs> Okay. You, okay. You want you could you could sing that song to yourself? I'm busy doing nothing, working the whole day through. You know you, we, that would sort it for you. you. You can be busy doing nothing, Ish. You know, Ish. I, I love the way you bring everything down to the nitty gritty of, of of the reality of form. It's really fantastic. Yeah. Where you sit, a chair. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. You said you spoke about how on one hand we can just be aware of the fact that we're already whole, yeah. but on the other hand we can make ch- you know, conscious changes yeah. and you know, the boredom and torpor. You know, at what point, at what point do you, like Marty, like Marty said, be disciplined? Yeah. And at what point do you let yourself off the hook? I guess that's what I'm yeah. When yeah. do you change? When yeah. do you just accept? When yeah. do you be disciplined? And when do you think? It'd be more wise to, to sit or to, to practice. Yeah. 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 My experience is that uh, the decision is made for me normally because I get so sick of myself <laughs> that I decide then to practice, you know, and then I'm practicing and then I get and then I think I'll need a break. I need a breather. As it were, you know, it's like, like post-session, I think we're all, we're, all, we're all more likely to indulge than we were before session because we feel like we should be rewarded for the effort we've made. <laughs> Isn't that true? Don't we all feel like we're... Re- don't we all feel... No? Don't you? Emma, you're very disciplined if you don't feel like you're entitled to... A... I stopped practicing because of my legs hurt, but I don't have that sense of... Like, yeah. Well done. Okay, okay. <coughs> God, we, Alan, giving you the mic could be a terrible mistake, I can tell. <laughs> Make it brief with you, Al. We've got to get... <laughs> Mm. But, uh, but for me, that there is that gap. Mm. I suppose I sometimes feel I, I 
sitting and practicing sitting over right. and over again or, um, or, or trying to, to understand situations mm. and act in accordance with both where yeah. I am and in that mm. overview. Yeah. It, it's doing it again and again. Yeah. And, and how, so how do you reconcile that with the fact that you're whole? And how do you, how do you learn what in, in you teaches you that you're doing it better or you could do it differently? Yeah. Well, practice can mean two things that fit both those questions. Practice can mean doing something over and over again. But practice can also mean being what you do. So, you know, a, a, a GP practice is a GP being a doctor. He's not practicing, well, some of them are, but <laughs> <laughs> essentially you're being a doctor. You're not practicing. So practice has, you know, contains both aspects of, of what you're talking about. Uh, and what was, I didn't quite, sorry, I was, didn't catch your second. Uh, I suppose, uh, how do you know you're getting better? Ah, ask your partner. <laughs> <laughs> Best judge. <laughs> Have you got one or your best friend or... Uh, don't ask your mum or dad, they, they, they have a different standard. <laughs> Alan? I don't know if it's relevant, but it feels relevant to me that there's something learning theory that, that says when you start to learn something, you realise that you're consciously uncompetent, you can't do it. Mm. As you start to practice, you become... Sorry, you start to consciously incompetent. Then you become... Oh, I've forgotten the thing. But <laughs> <laughs> then, you, then you become consciously incompetent. Ah, yeah, yeah. By the end, anyway, once you're consciously competent, you're doing it over a period yeah. of time, it becomes a, a stage where you're all consciously competent. So that's what you're practicing, I imagine, where you get to that point where it's not just like doing it over and over again. Yeah. You get to that point where practice is your life, I imagine. Yeah. That's great. That's, Alan, uh, um, that's really nice thing to say. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. You see, <clears throat> if we put all the, you know, I wouldn't need to, I wouldn't need to be sitting here giving a talk if we could, could somehow condense everybody's wisdom. Be great. Because we, you know, we all do it, we all have it, you know, for sure. Somewhere deep down, we all really, we all finally know. It's just that we don't want to own up to it. Because, uh, uh, why don't we, I don't, I'm not sure why, but we kind of don't. It's in a way, in a way, what I see is that uh, we're scared of not being enlightened and we're scared of being enlightened. You know, we're scared of heaven, we're scared of hell and we're scared that there's no hell. You know, we're scared of heaven, we're scared there's no heaven. We're all, we're all kind of really kind of jumbled up about what, what it is we really want. We're scared of both things. And how, you know, how we transcend that is, is, is to reach us to discover. I mean, one thing, I, one thing I, I, I absolutely see in myself, and uh, you know, because I have the privilege of, of, of meeting folk in interview, and it is a privilege, is that a lot of us carry around some kind of basic anxiety. You know, it's lying there in the pit of our stomach, we have this basic anxiety. And it's really worth looking at that. You know, what is it? Because it does influence and impact on our lives. You know, and you wake up and you can't really put your finger on it, but you feel nervous. And uh, for me, what it, you know, I, can, I can tell you what I, what I realized for myself is one is that I can't find an answer, necessarily find an answer to it. I can't kind of, there's nothing I can do out externally to, to stop it arising. But what I, what I kind of think it is, it, 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 and it's very to do with this practice, is it's a fear of loss of self. Whether that be through death, or through a disaster, or through, you know, having no money, or you know, all the kind of things that diminish our sense of who we are. The worst being, of course, death. You know, we're going to be gone. And we're not going to have service. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll be going in for dinner any second. He's very, he's very good, isn't he? He's very it's a serious, very disciplinarian. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you. We will finish. Yeah, we better finish. Okay, thanks everyone. Thank you. Thanks very much.